Hello, I'm Emily Harmon and welcome to another episode of Bring Your Own. This month I'm sitting in for Derek Morrison. He is away exploring the wine regions of the world and will be back with you in February. It is the time of year when the wine trade are focusing on Burgundy and Primeur and we thought it would be a great opportunity to celebrate some of our favourite wines from this hallowed region. Joining us today are Toby Herbertson, fine wine buyer of Good House & Co, Ella Lister, founder of Wine Lister and the extremely talented Burgundian vigneron Benjamin Leroux. This episode is brought to you by Good House & Co, winner of International Wine Challenge and Decanters Awards for Best Burgundy Specialist of the Year in 2018. Find out more at www.goodhouse.com and follow them on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Good House, which is spelt G-O-E-D-H-U-I-S. A special thanks to Wilton's Restaurant for providing the beautiful space in their private dining room. You can find them online at www.wiltons.co.uk. Welcome everybody. We're here at Wilton's today tasting some Burgundy 2017. Let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hello, I'm Benjamin Leroux. It's a good thing. I'm coming from Burgundy and uh, Burgundy growers and uh, happy to be here for Burgundy Week. I'm Emily Harmon. I'm, I'm a consultant uh, sommelier. I help restaurants with their wine lists and training and I do some wine education stuff on the side. I'm Ella Lister and I am a wine journalist and I also founded Wine Lister. Um, two and a half years ago, and we basically pulled together all the most wonderfully geeky uh, data about fine wine and bring it together in one place for anyone geeky enough to care. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Toby Herbertson. I'm the fine wine buyer and broker for Good House & Company. We um, represent a number of amazing growers, Benjamin's being one of them, and um, yeah, we're going to try some of our wines today. Um, so today I've bought the 2015 uh, Le Tille Merceau from uh, Patrick Javier. So why did you bring this, Emily? Um, the 2015 I bought because um, I really like the producer. I like um, Javier. I find the wines very balanced, interesting, delicate and um, a sort of go-to producer for Merceau. And I thought this particular cuvee I quite like. It's not the top cuvee. Um, but I think it's quite a pure, uh, fresher style of Chardonnay from him, and I quite like it for that reason. Right, it's interesting with the vintage, because you know, we, this vintage was quite criticized for whites in yeah. 15, everybody was looking for it, yeah, and, uh, and actually, you know, warm, warm weather suits well to Chardonnay. And uh, I'm pleased you picked up this yeah. vintage, yeah. yeah. I think that's the interesting thing about uh, this wine, and uh, the as a producer, that, you know, he, uh, masters the conditions very well. Uh, you know, 15, as you're saying, is very different to, to 14, and it's a vintage 14, very sort of classical vintage. And as you say, 15, perhaps the focus was more on the reds. The but mm. I think uh, what you have here is, um, you know, someone who's, who's managed the conditions, and there's a there's a lovely sort of uh, a bead of acidity through it. There's a tension there. Mm. There's a minerality to it that uh, sometimes I you know I don't think necessarily you get with all 15 whites. Um, but I think. In this instance, um, yeah, it's 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 very much in check. But at the same time, it doesn't, you know, it's it's very much it's very much more so. You can tell it's got that lovely breadth of fruit. Um, yeah, it's rich. It's got density. Exactly. It's 
hedonistic, but it's not heavy. It's not kind of overdone exactly. or overripe or, yeah, it's perfectly managed, as you say. Yeah. I find that's the producer, though. That's what I like. They're not, I don't always feel that his wines are maybe always the star of the show, and that's not to discredit them. I think because sometimes they're almost so harmonious and sometimes they can be a bit more discreet mm -hmm. um, that sometimes they, they get forget, forgotten. Like if you look at Rouleau, for example, mm -hmm. you know, it's like time and time again the wines are followed, but I've not had a bad bottle of this producer so far. No, it's yeah. exactly that. From, from, from Patrick, it's always good. But my meaning with a warm vintage is uh, at the moment we, I mean, we have to get used to it huh? because it seems to be uh, more the norm. Huh? So mm -hmm. we, can't, we can always talk about the past and say, Oh, at my time before, you know, we used to pick end of September, beginning of, of October. But with, with like a warmer weather, uh, it seems to be, you know, since a uh, since couple of years, we're picking uh, late, late August. Because 17 uh, was early harvesting as well, 17 wasn't it? was early. We, we started on the 30th of August and this year on the 27th. And, uh, and for sure, like in terms of, in theory, you know, I was like definitely like a more thinking it's going to be great for the reds, you know, for mm. having higher ripeness and nobotritis and more difficult for the whites. But actually, uh, I should say, and like with Beyond Primer 17, uh, the whites are great mm. and fresh and uh, again, super surprising in 18. But the, yeah, no, the whites in 2017 are fabulous, aren't they? Um, I mean, I love the reds for different reasons, but the whites are really up there. I mean, in terms of the last maybe 10 or so vintages, it's up there at the top along with, or just maybe just behind 2014, would you say? Well, right. well for me, for me, well, my experience is, uh, is limited. I've got only 20 vintage behind me, but uh, uh, 14 was definitely the best in white yeah. I ever made, and seven, I put 17 right after. Yeah. Right after. But, uh, the, the point you make about uh, warmer harvest, do you have uh, a problem with, uh, I suppose, great maturation that if it's if it's warmer earlier perhaps the, the sugar levels are going up without as much ripeness you'd like on the vine is there is there, sort yeah, it's of, a, it's a is there of, friction it's there? a matter of like really adjusting the viticulture to avoid uh, producing sugar too quickly yeah but then in uh, on the other side it means super healthy fruits yeah because it's dry mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, there's more sure to have a good weather end of August beginning of September but end of September and if you, I mean, if you pick at the right time, the only, the only, the only dramatic side is we can't take a holiday in August anymore. <laughs> That's the only thing. The rest is going, going super well. But it's just a matter, yeah, of changing habits from, you know, what we've learned at school, what you can read. I'm quite amazed to see how the Chardonnay is like, uh, is, is, is coping and is coping super well. So 17, you've said very good vintage for you for whites. Comparing it to, because we're tasting a 15 now, how was 15 versus 17 for you in but terms of white wine? There, there is, there is uh, quite a lot of similar, similarity. Uh, in 15, we definitely have a lack of, uh, of water in, uh, in July and August. And we're expecting a, a storm early September. We, we're, at the moment, we're more in the position to say, you know, yeah, we'd, love, we'd, love, we'd love some water. <laughs> we'd, love, mm. we'd love a bit of rain. And, uh, and so we were like on the starting block to start harvest, really depending on, on if water will, will come or not. And the water came up north in Chablis, but not mm. on us. So we, mm. we, just, we just picked one yeah. week ahead of, uh, 
of uh, of schedule and and we yeah, we preserve freshness. But usually we all picking around the same time, so the same food with Patrick. Mm. So we just, we, but it's it's. I was I was joking with a holiday in August, but it's true. Yeah. Actually, it's uh, for us. It's over. Absolutely. It's over and it's fine huh? because uh, taking holiday in August is awful. So that's 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 all that's all good. Well, it's definitely not the most economic choice. No, 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 no. So it's a it's a it's a different way. But I, I really love the uh, the the way because we we producing sugar, but we're not losing the acidity. Yeah. And uh, the tartric, tartric acidity base is still, still, still high. So 15 and 17 still picking earlier than what you were used to before. What was your overall view on the differences, for example? Well, between 15 and yeah. 17, I think in 15, uh, maybe, maybe sometimes they are, um, they are richer mm -hmm. than the 17. The 17 are definitely. Uh, uh, more linear, more crispy. The, the base of tartaric is is higher. It's 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 the different. Um, it's, it's it's hard to compare two good vintages mm. because mm. Uh, I don't want to say that one one. I, mean, I said seventeen was the best after fourteen. So, uh, but because I like acidity, I like I like the feeling of the acidity. I like the I like the minerality. So probably seventeen is expressing more the mineral than fifteen. But 15 is expressing more, like you know, the richness of the fruit, especially with with uh, with Merceau. But uh, we had the same case with 09. You know, 09 when when we've done the imprimeur, uh, well, people were coming for the reds, for the whites. Uh, you know, most of the comments were, it's it's too ripe, it's too, it won't age. I, lo I love 09 today. Mm. You know, they're reaching their 10 years, but they're still fresh. I don't have, I didn't have much premox on 09 from all the wine I've tasted. When uh, other vintages will look, you know, tight and fresher, uh, ha had some issue. So uh, I really trust on on, on uh, Chardonnay needs to be ripe. Mm -hmm. It's not a question of greenness, and we shouldn't confu between, confuse between between minerality and freshness and uh, and and just pure acidity. Mm. Yeah. And what about for you, Ella? Then what, uh, your experience of the two different vintages? The fifteen is obviously a hotter vintage, and so what. Ben was saying at the beginning about it being quite impressive that actually this wine, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, but it's from a hot vintage, it's heavy, it's kind of overdone. It's not at all. It's, it's linear and it's fresh and it's, it's still got that minerality that you'd hope for from, from, a, from a great Merceau whilst embracing the richness that all that sunshine in 2015 has brought to the wine. Mm. And 17, um, yeah, 17 is a white vintage. I mean, a lot of people are saying that in 2017, the whites are better than the reds, which are delicious. So that's saying something. Toby, any thoughts on 2017 whites? Um, from what I've tasted, uh, yeah, I'm very, very impressed. There mm. is a, uh, there's a purity of fruit that you're always mm. looking for. Uh, I think the individual appellations have really expressed themselves. Uh, mm. I think there is a... You know, not only a clear delineation between those, but also between the individual vineyards, and uh, you know, mm. they've been. I think it would, it would come across that the, the the vintage has allowed uh, the vignerons to let the vineyard do the work, um, yeah. and the grapes have come on and harvested, and they the fruit's been of such high quality that you know that it hasn't required perhaps as much work and uh, manipulation, or you know. As in other vintages, and there's a yeah, there's a real there's a real clear characteristic to the wines. Um, 
freshness to them. Yeah. There's an acidity. There's a tension in them. Uh, I think there's a you know the fruit concentration. They are tasting them now as a pleasure, mm. but uh, I think it's you know it's going to be one of these vintages that you know people will come back to as a as a benchmark vintage for wines. I was quite impressed with the tasting today actually. Mm. That how uh, how well the wines were showing because yeah. often they can be a little bit all over the place when you're dealing with tank samples. And I overheard a colleague of yours saying that I think they only some of the samples only arrived last night yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so there was only a few ones. I think maybe two out of I think maybe 40 I tried that yeah. I thought were okay maybe not showing so well but the rest were very very pure yeah I, I, yeah I think mm. absolutely right you know um, these samples are you know they've, they've been they've been drawn off and they are they are as they are but I think you know it's testament to the quality of the vintage of how well they are showing so. mm. so Ella what have you bought for us today and why I have brought uh, Chambol Musigny Village from Gislaine Barthaud and the 2017 vintage, so it's a barrel sample still because they haven't bottled. And why have I brought a wine from Gislaine Barthaud? Well, because it's Burgundy Week and every time that I taste um, the new vintage during Burgundy Week in the January of each year, I'm always blown away by her wines. I just find that they have a purity and an elegance, a sophistication. They're unpretentious, but they're sensual and they have this allure and they just draw me in. And they're always my favorite, well, some of my favorite wines uh, en primeur. And so I thought, let's try one. Um, the Chambol village um, from Bartaud is interesting because she has um, lots of different plots uh, throughout Chambol Musigny. Um, some at the top of the slope, some at the bottom, some in the middle of the slope. And so for the village, it's a blend of, I'm not sure exactly how many parcels, but let's say maybe 10. And so it really allows, um, it really allows her to make a good Chambon Musigny village kind of almost in any vintage because she's got all these different parcels to choose from. Um, the only difference this year in 2017 well, two differences actually. For the really geeky among you, they've actually removed two of the, um, the only two premier cru plots that were used in this village wine, which were Sentier and Noiro, and they're no longer in this blend, so it is just village plots. And then the one that I find really interesting because, um, and Ben, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I know with 2017 at first, you guys as growers were actually a little bit pessimistic about the vintage. You weren't sure whether it might not be a little bit diluted because you'd obviously had, and I'm speaking very generally now, yeah. but, <laughs> it, but quite extreme frosts in 2016 uh, can mean that the vines then try to overcompensate the following year. And I think people were worried. Oh, on that side, on that yeah. side, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Usually Wor after frost, the following crop is very generous. Yeah, and so I think some people thought, oh, well, if the crop's gonna be generous, then maybe there'll be some dilution, maybe the wines will be quite light. And actually, they seem to have taken on weight and puppy fat during the process of the élevage. I don't know if that's the case for you. Uh, I don't know. When I was talking about the fee, it was more like, uh, you know, during the growing season. Mm -hmm. then, then the crop was, was not that big. Okay. It was, 
we we talk we're talking we're talking of a generous crop in seventeen just just because we are we had we had no wine no, uh, the, the 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 previous year that's for Côte de Nuit like Chambol was really hit in sixteen by yeah. frost uh, for the Côte de Beaune so we are mostly working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 10 was a small one, 12, 13, 14, 16. Mm-hmm. So we were getting very used to have like a tiny, crop. tiny crops, you know, like a, a cellar with, uh, you know, when, when you, you have a couple of vintage in a row like that, you, you feel that the cellar is uh, half empty. I think it's worth, saying, it's worth saying that 2017 is not an enormous crop. It's a no, normal, it's not an enormous it's a crop, normal but, crop, but, but because there have been so to, many to, small yeah, That's ones, the case. Yeah. Like for me in Meursault, where I've got most of my vine, uh, I always like I was joking in seventeen because I said I, I've made uh, I've made eight times uh, eight times the volume of sixteen. Yeah. But in sixteen, I made six hectoliters per hectare, so you know I had nothing. How much do you think you've lost in terms of yield over the last five or six years from the various? It's about uh, in five vintage. It's a free crops. Right. Mm. Okay. Wow. It's interesting so though, isn't yeah, it? The perspective, the perspective of um, of what is a normal crop or what is the right amount of grapes that we're supposed to have. So do you think, just one question on, um, just going back on what Ella said before, which is to you, Ben, is um, everybody was a little bit pessimistic, you said, or a little bit unsure on, okay, we're gonna end up with too many grapes. Do you think any growers did anything differently in their vineyards to manage the amount of crop or not? Do you feel like it was No, because naturally, naturally it, was not, it was not that big. Of course, you always have, I mean, to go and, and maybe do a green harvest on, green harvest on some mm. vines, which are yeah. too many bunches, but they, they were not that many. Okay. They were not mm. that many. It I was, think people were surprised was, that, that there wasn't as much overcompensation. No, no, no. We thought, we thought, thought, yeah, we thought it, it will be bigger, but the flowering was not 100%. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, it was, it, it, it was just the crop which was needed, and, but not, not other crop. Was there a difference... Um, to go on another tangent between the reaction of Pinot and Chardonnay to the previous year's frosts, or did they both produce about the same amount? Uh, the, 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 the whites, is not, it's not a big crop in white. Huh? In white, we're doing, uh, as an average, so that's including the Bourgogne Generique, uh, yeah. Ossé du Reste, Saint-Romain, we're doing uh, 48 hectoliters per hectare, which is good. Yeah. But, you know, we're allowed to 58. Uh, and in red? And in red, uh, it's more around 40, so which is, you know, a good normal crop. But we, and, and I haven't seen, I mean, outside my vineyards, I haven't seen, I haven't seen, you know, many vineyards with like other crop. The fear was, was maybe there. It's always a challenge to, for Pinot huh, to, to ripe a good 40 or 45 hectoliters. Uh, if you do 30, 35, you're sure you will do it. Mm. At 40, 45, you need to have the perfect condition, mm. the good weather. But I think the fears were unfounded anyway. So yeah. having tasted this morning and having tasted in Burgundy from Barrel in late November mm. and at some of the bigger tastings in London as well last year, I haven't found the reds to be at all diluted oh, or light. Yeah. So, it was, so it clearly was, you know, it clearly wasn't a problem. But what was interesting um, that Clément uh, Boyot, so uh, Gislaine's son, was telling me just this morning about the 2017, uh, their 2017 wines, was that usually they would take them off the lees um, around August last year, and actually they decided for the first time they've ever done this to leave the wine in contact with the lees, um, so they're still in contact with the lees now, to add 
maybe that extra density that they felt was a yeah, tiny bit lacking, and, and he, he thinks that's been a really successful... And on top of that, the leaves are good. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a 17. So, I mean, you have, you have the quality of the wine, but how do you... Because we see the quality of the vintage before, uh, before you on the market. It's a vintage which was, let's say, easy-making, because it makes by itself. Everything was there. And in terms of aging, it's, it's, going, it's going smoothly on its own. No racking. We haven't done any racking also. Before bottling, uh, I was saying that's the first time I'm away <laughs> during, during a bottling, but the wines, you're racking them, you put them in tank, they're good. No, they don't shut down, they're, they're showing. And uh, it's not an easy exercise to send sample, barrel sample, tank sample to away, away in UK and you, mm. you away. It's always like the first tasting for me is like, whoa, you know, have I, uh, is, it, is it all right? Has it traveled? Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure with the 17. And that's the good example. Yeah. This 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 wine, I mean, doesn't show any stress. And just to go back it's just to great. just to go back to this wine, then Toby, what do you think of this wine? You, I mean, you tasted all of quite a few reds today as well. Tasted a number 70s. of reds this morning. I, I yeah, um, I think this is a lovely wine. Uh, I think the first thing that you notice is it's just got a, a beautiful perfume on the mm. nose, very high tone, lovely red fruits there, a lot of strawberry, you know, sort of wild strawberries there. Um, and then on the palate, it follows through again. Um, there's a lovely tension to it. Mm. The fruit is 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 well rounded and general. I mean, it's a uh, okay. You say it's a generic village, but <laughs> Gisele Barto makes some pretty special village wine. But I think it's yeah, it's a really good example of the vintage. It, um, you know, what you sort of look at, and particularly I think at outside of Grand Cru or the better Premier Cru levels is. You look for the component parts, and, and this has a lovely weight of fruit, it has a freshness to it, the tannins are, mm. are ripe but unobtrusive. Um, it's just very, it's a very pleasurable glass of wine. And uh, it's very chambol. Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. again, it's, it comes, there's, a, there's a prettiness to it. Um, so, yeah, it's very, it's, it comes back to what we're saying about um, the various Appalachians yeah. really being able to express themselves. Mm. And you were saying earlier with regard to the whites that it was a vintage where um, the wines were quite transparent mm. so you can kind of read through them yeah. to the terroir beneath and I think that goes just as much for the reds and I actually think 2017 is a great vintage for anyone who wants to really get to know Burgundy mm. and all its different appellations and different terroir and understand what the terroir is bringing to the wine because like you said you didn't have to do a lot of wine making in this vintage in terms of it's a good thing because I'm yeah. not a wine maker so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly well there you go but, uh, but, and you're right and that's that's the case from Bourgogne so from the basic generic wine to the Grand Cru there's no, uh, and through all the villages, because I'm covering almost all the villages, so I can see the vintage through, through uh, Côte de Bonne and Côte de Nuit. There's no, uh, there's no village which are a bit down or different. It's not just super, super um, regular, homogenous. Yeah, homogenous, yeah. yeah. And I think it's a perfect vintage to, to showcase Gislaine Barto's wines as well, because I, wouldn't, I don't think of Gislaine as a winemaker either but more of a grower I mean her approach is relatively conventional it's interesting actually when I went to visit her a year ago um, so mid-January last year and went into her cellars and we tasted from barrel and thinking back to that yesterday evening just thinking about what I might say today I was kind of but she didn't tell me anything about the winemaking 
And actually, why would she? But it's very telling that she didn't. Everything we discussed was about the parcels, the mm -hmm. different parcels of land, where they were on mm -hmm. the map, what, what, the, what, what the soils were, what they brought to the wine. And isn't that, isn't that telling? Because yeah. it's not her approach to try and make the wine or craft She's the a wine. Grower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, um, and her partner, Louis Boyot, probably has a relatively similar approach in that sense. And then their son, Clement, who's kind of taking the helm of their uh, Moulin Avant project in, uh, in Beaujolais, mm -hmm. says that he's making the wines there in exactly the same way they make the Burgundies. He said he tried, for example, he tried whole cluster just to experiment. Didn't like it. No, no whole cluster. No, mm -hmm. Gislen uses no whole cluster. Very modest new oak. So this will have seen about 20% new oak. Mm -hmm. So very kind nice. of a nice. Very nice. Yeah. So Benjamin, what have you bought for us? What are we tasting and why? Hello, I've bought, uh, I bought a pretty special wine because first it's a, it's a very limited uh, production and it's coming from an area where usually people don't think about, uh, about this village. So it's a, it's a Vougeot, mm -hmm. Vougeot village. Uh, the name of the vineyard is called Clos du Village. Mm -hmm. so, uh, easy to remember, and uh, in Vougeot, so Vougeot is really known for the Clos Vougeot. The Vougeot appellation is one of the smallest as a, as a village uh, area. It's uh, a bit more than 70 hectares, and uh, most of it is the Clos Vougeot, of course, 52 hectares. Uh, you have a couple of premier cru around, which are 15, 17 hectares, and, uh, and uh, 3.2 hectares of village, with a bit of whites mm -hmm. and a bit of reds. Mm. So uh, this wine, uh, we're producing only with 600 bottles. Beside my vineyards, I'm also a negociant and I'm yeah. purchasing fruit. And uh, I was looking for some Clovougeot. But like it happens sometimes, you know, when you do deal, they're trying to include other fruits in a package. You know, it's very rare to be able mm. to deal Grand Cru on its own. Uh, the Clovougeot were looking so good, you yeah. know. Um, I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take the Vougeot mm. village, but like really thinking, what I'm going to do with this, this wine after, because I was not especially needing another mm. label. And, uh, so that was back in 2011. Anyway, picked up the grapes. They were looking good. Make the wine. And by making the wine, I said, whoa, you know, actually, it's, there's something here that, you know, I was not thinking that we could, we could, we could get uh, in this area. And, uh, and the first year, you know, loved the wine. I loved it. So much that actually we decided of not selling it and keeping it for us because at the beginning I thought that it might be only a you know a one year and uh, the following year I'll be able to deal without uh, the Vougeot village. But uh, carrying on with the aging, I loved it more and more and uh, and ending up by keeping the same amount of Clos Vougeot but wanting more of the Vougeot because it's such a lovely wine and every year it's making a. It's making an amazing, um, amazing wine with mm. very, very good regularity, lots of fruit, very mm. distinguished in terms of, uh, of appellation. And uh, so I've been keeping the, the two first vintages, mm -hmm. not selling it. And, uh, and actually one day I was, uh, I was not at the winery and uh, my assistant done the tasting for good hours that morning. And, uh, and he let them taste the Vougeot which usually, you know, it's the wine that no one was tasting. And uh, it happened that they really liked it. 
And, uh, and which vintage which, was that as well? It was 13. Okay. The 13, the second which vintage we tried. Yeah. So that's the first Rougeau I saw. Oh. And because uh, I kept the two first ones. And uh, now I'm, voilà, I'm only selling to Good House. And the rest I'm, keeping, I'm still keeping it for us. And you said you were keen to get a little bit more fruit. Fruit, yeah. Did you manage to get any more? No. Okay. <laughs> because the owner knows it's a good, it's a good place too. <laughs> And that said, that said, with Vujo, what what I think is amazing, and, and it's a shame that it's not, you know, that 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 known is uh, also with the whites. Uh, Vujo is probably I shouldn't say that here, but uh, it's probably the best white of Côte, of Côte de Nuit. So Seventeen on your right. I haven't tasted them actually. You did. And And 13, you know, I'm, I'm even, I'm even a, bit, a bit ashamed of the label of the 13 because as we, as we were not prepared to sell this wine, we haven't printed the label. So we made them on a printer. <laughs> so we're tasting the 2013 and 17 next to each other. Wait, wait. Okay, so the first vintage First vintage on the market. And the new vintage and that's approaching the new vintage, yes. which is still in barrel at the moment. I think just one thing for anybody that's... Um, that's tuning in, they might be quite interested in, if they, haven't, if they don't know this appellation, how could you sum it up? For me, it's, a, it's an explosion of fruit, always, but very pure, but it's always, it's a super generous wine, without being light, because you have, you have, you have of course, the spiciness of Côte de Nuit, mm. you know, you're, you're, you, it's a village wine. Uh, it, we, in Burgundy, we have a, a very bad habit, we're always saying, this vineyard is next to. Yes. Uh, so this one is next to Clovujo, but we really, really, we really alongside the wall, and uh, voilà, the situation is, uh, and it's village, huh? mm. uh, no pretension of like doing Grand Cru, but it's, it's a very well located village with like, but every year we were talking of the vintage with seventeen, saying you know every appellation has got its focus, but this this appellation actually. Since I'm making it, so you know, from 2011 to, to 2018, we had different vintages. It's always producing the same style of wine with like this very generous fruit, spicy, and in a way, this this appellation is is going over the vintage. You know, it's it's a, it's a really strong one. How have you found this wine to sell? Uh, quite easy to sell, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, mm. uh, I mean, it's. Um, I think you know. Above and beyond the fact that it's it's Claude Village Vujo, but it's um, it's a lovely story. Um, you know, we were very fortunate to, to come across it when we did and, and taste it. Um, it's uh, you know, apart from anything else, it's, a, it's as we'll find out, it's a delicious wine to mm. taste. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, people. I think it's uh, it's as good an introduction or perhaps more than an introduction it's you know it's it's uh, a very good example of, of Vujo as, a, as an appellation you know uh, you can you can pick out the characteristics there um, and yeah people have really really gone for it so you know when when we're in the cellar and we you I, I sometimes do like a you know blind tasting at the end and uh, and I always say you know but now it's going to be recorded but uh if if there's a blind testing and, and I'm starting and I'm starting to, to to bet something, and if I'm saying the one who found the wine, you know, I give him a twelve bottle of uh, the same wine, and usually you can get through. You know, they they go in Côte de Beaune, Côte de Nuit, you help you a Côte de Nuit, and every village will get will go through, but everybody forgot Vujo. 
So it's anybody visiting you in the next few months should be prepared. No, I'm going to change. I'm going to change the game. <laughs> no, but it's just bursting with energy and juiciness. I mean, the seventeen reds are very juicy yeah. and vivacious and kind of uh, scintillating. Yeah. But this really is a perfect lovely. example of that, and you can see it carried through back to the 2013 as well. That same juiciness. It's very Moorish. It just makes you want to have another big gulp. And very different vintage, because huh? 13 was the last, last late one. Yeah, well, you presumably picked about a month later in 13. A month later, yeah. and uh, so cooler, 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 cooler weather, but the, 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 the ripeness are pretty, pretty similar. And just going back to the vintage of 2017, while we're on your wines, because um, you're in the unique situation of working with many different appellations throughout Burgundy. I don't know how many in total. It's... A couple yeah, of dozen, know, what the, it's quite a, quite a few. A bit more than 50. Yeah. So did you find, was there anything that was a little bit different to previous vintages in a particular appellation with the fruit you'd worked with before? Was there any sort of standout parts of Burgundy that you thought, oh, this is different in 17, or this is interesting, or this is a nightmare, or... No, or, no, 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 it's probably it's not the last no, it's usually It's usually the case on most of the vintage. You yeah. always have one village where it's more difficult, and uh, one village where you say, wow, that's totally standing out so in what, the vintage. And in 17, in, in 17 yeah. actually, it's not the case. In 17, it, it, it's, been, it's been good everywhere. So you don't have a little sneaky little insider uh, tip for us of like, yeah. you got to... The Côte de Bonne did well. Mm. You know, like, I, like, I like the Volnay Poma and Corton. Mm -hmm. Corton. Corton, it's been difficult in Corton for a couple of years. The 17 Corton is... Uh, and I've been lucky enough to, to be part of like some, 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 some great tasting with lots of old vintages and, uh, and Volney is usually standing out in the top three, mm. one of the Volney. And it's exactly what I'm looking in, in 17. Suddenly you have Volney to the top. So Toby, you have two bottles for us. What are we drinking I and do. why? I have two mm. bottles. Uh, we are going to try the Domaine d'Arlo uh, Clos Forêt Saint-Georges 2017 mm -hmm. and 2013 vintages to compare them. Um, Domaine d'Arlo is uh, a property that I've enjoyed and drunk at wines for a number of years. What I like about it is there, there's a style to them that uh, is quite identifiable. There is a purity of fruit. Um, there's a concentration of fruit um, and you get a number of different layers to the wines. And the Clos de Foray uh, as well is, uh, they're really sort of happy with their winemaking, they've identified, mm. you know, how to get the best out of it. And I think, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really lovely example of Nuit Saint-Georges. And with the 17 and the 13 again, so that's quite cool to try mm -hmm. and compare. So the vineyard itself is, I think, about just over seven hectares. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the one of the furthest south uh, vineyards in the Côte de Nuit. There's a transparency to the wines yeah. of this vintage, which I quite enjoy. Absolutely, mm. this wine, though, in particular, for me, what screams out is just the texture. God, it's so silken and creamy, and kind of melts into the uh, into the mouth. Again, there's a tension. I think that you know is very. Uh, characteristic of the 17 vintage, there's a lovely acidity to keep the fruit in check. Um, there's a lot of 
again, I'll come back to it. There's a sort of there's the layers of the fruit. Uh, there's some really fine tannins in there as well, um, but keeping everything in check. And I think again, uh, for a seventeen or as young as it is, you know, drinkable now. Mm. But, uh, well, yeah. You know, it's got a it's got a long life ahead of it. So. But that's something that we haven't touched on yet for this vintage, which I think is important, yeah. is it's so approachable mm. and so accessible, almost kind of alarmingly so. You're kind of tasting these young wines that haven't been bottled yet and feeling that you could just drink them tonight quite happily. And I think some people may be worried or maybe we should make sure people aren't worried that that means they're not going to last because I don't think that's the case. I think they will. Well, no, we shouldn't be worried. I think a great vintage should, should taste well all the time. Yeah. That's the key, that's the difference between a good one and a great one. A good one will taste amazingly sometimes, yeah. and have, have, it, will have, it will have its life, but a great one will taste all, so great all the time. So you think 2017 is a great vintage? It's a great one, because okay. they're, they're showing well since birth. Yeah. And whatever you're doing, they're carrying on. And uh, that's, that's, that's an amazing sign. For me as a winemaker, 17 is... Uh, is a top vintage on that side, and yeah, you can drink. Yeah, you can approach them young. You can drink them. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's plenty, so we can drink some now and some later. And for the people, I mean, I guess you probably asked this quite a lot, Toby, as well about longevity for for those who are buying yeah. to store the wines. Mm -hmm. Any predictions? Any thoughts? On the 17s, mm. if it was to say anything, is just try and keep your hands off them. <laughs> I think you know. The hallmark for me of a, of a great vintage is it's the balance and that's mm. what almost sort of mm. betrays the wine um, because it's you know if you have to wait for a wine if you have to wait for perhaps for the for the tannins to you know soften down a little bit integrate if you have to wait for perhaps the acidity to, to soften a little bit you know it's no hardship to leave that in the cellar for a little bit um, wines such as this they are mm. they're approachable now um, but they have the they have the component parts you yeah. know they're gonna um, I think from tasting now, obviously it's early, but you know, you'd think that they would run concurrently and they will, you mm. know, it's only going to get better. They're obviously, they're accessible now. Yeah. It's a very good to great vintage, depending on your perspective. I, I've spoken to some people who describe it not as a legendary vintage or a great vintage, mm -hmm. but just a very good vintage. So anyway, we all agree they're wonderful wines, but there's more of them than mm -hmm. there has been for the mm -hmm. last few years. What pricing should people expect who are thinking of investing in some Burgundy on Primeur this week? Well, I think you know there's a number of factors to consider. Um, as Ben touched on earlier, you know Burgundy has had a pretty torrid time over recent mm. years with um, you know reduced yields and harvests and so on. And um, I think it's important to say that you know um, Burgundy. Producers have worked very hard to be to be reasonable, but at the same time, you know, we understand that you know, producers, it's a, it needs to be you know uh, viable. Um, so even though the crops might be higher, doesn't mean necessarily the prices will be cheaper. No, that I think that, I think that's the point. Yeah. There's a deficit to make up certainly, yeah. mm. and the price increases that there have been that we have seen over the years have been have been very reasonable, and under certainly mm. under the circumstances have been have been. Totally understandable. And the demand is there. So actually, I don't know how much exactly price increases from the grower have been over the last few years, but in the secondary market, they've certainly gone up even more than that. So it's justified any price increases yeah. there have I mean, been. I, I mean, over five or six years, the top, top wines from Burgundy have doubled in price on the secondary market. 
I mean, obviously there are mitigating factors in, in, in the economy and so on and so forth, but I mean, the bottom line is that, you know, as, uh, as, as the number of drinkers globally um, expands and grows and as new markets expand and grows and also as those markets mature. So, yeah. you know, uh, perhaps maybe a decade or so ago, Hong Kong and Asia was very much focused on a number of Bordeaux wines. Mm now their interests have, have dissipated and spread out and they're discovering, you know, other other areas. Mm. And so it follows that pressure yeah. pressure on supply will, will come from that. I so. mean, Burgundy is undoubtedly the hottest property right now yeah. for collectors. We uh, at Winelister, we did some research recently um, for one of our regional studies and we looked into the online searches for the different um, top wine regions and Burgundy's search rank mm -hmm. has gone up 25% over mm -hmm. the last year. So it's 25% more searched for the top wines than they were before, whereas Bordeaux stayed flat. Mm -hmm. So Burgundy just keeps on, mm -hmm. the demand keeps on growing. And while that's the case, you know, there's absolutely no reason why prices should go down just because a normal crop's taken place. But then <laughs> what do you, Benjamin, what do you, what, yeah, but what do you think from a producer's point of view who is more in contact with the people you're selling to? So you deal with a number of importers throughout the world. Do you think your customer base has maybe changed over years? Are, you, are your wines going to more private customers or are they still in restaurants? I know that... It's, 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 it's both, actually. It's just that you... You know, uh, we well, first Burgundy is a small region, and then we well, today we've been talking about Meursault, Louis Saint Georges, uh, bon, my uh, little Vougeot, Chambol Musigny, <laughs> but you know names which are which are known. Yeah. But uh, there's still some appellation that you know for the moment the market doesn't look at them mm -hmm. because uh, so such as La Serigny, mm. uh, Santenay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Blani, I'm producing mm. Blani now, so I'm mm. well aware of it. Uh, Chassagne Rouge, you know, for example. Mm. And, and, and there's, there's, there's great producer there, and there's very good wine there. And uh, I think, yeah, some of, the some of the wine might escape some market, and I don't think yours, but some, some of the market where it's getting too expensive. But there's also other wine which is going to make the entry in, onto those markets. So I think definitely the lesser known appellations are coming up more and more, yeah. mm -hmm. particularly and in restaurants it, because you can offer things by the glass. Exactly. That's, why, that's, that's why, why it's not only going to, to private client, mm -hmm. it's also, I think, with the, the, the restaurant, it's still, still working well and you can still make wine at an affo affordable price. And I'm well aware of it because I'm producing, but I'm also a consumer. Mm. So uh, I see both faces, you know, I, I'm making wine because I'm a wine lover. So, you know, I'm, I'm not drinking, I don't want to drink my wine at home, so I'm, I'm buying, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I'm trying to make a consistent seller and uh, from all over the world. And yeah, it's, it's, there's a point where it's too, too, uh, too expensive. But this is, if you're looking at Grand Cru, it's 1.7 of the production. Yeah. And if you're looking at Demon, at the Demon Worldwide, yeah, it's, it, it can only increase. So... With the Grand Cru, don't think about a decrease. I think, I mean, if I'm, same thing for me on my, the, the, the fact I'm purchasing fruit, price are still going up. So I don't see, I don't see it going, going down. I mean, there's a lot of other costs behind. It's not just what the production was that year. It's land prices are going up and, and up with, ev with every up. new yeah, acquisition. Going, going yeah. Yeah. The, the number of people who wants to buy Grand Cru land in Burgundy is way, way bigger than, than the offer. So... We all agree we're really impressed with 2017. Any thoughts on 
or comments on what's to come in Burgundy, maybe, or how the vintage is going to go, or maybe Ben, you might want to comment on 2018. Like, any well, final thoughts on Burgundy and what's coming? They've had a pretty torrid time of it over recent vintages. Happily, 17 is in the right direction. 18, I think, is better than average. Another so good crop. Another good yeah. crop, and, and good, good quality as well, um, which is very good news. Um, I think that the, the secondary market is in, is in rude health. Um, as Ella touched upon, you know, demand and interest in Burgundy um, shows no sign of, of going away. No. Um, so I think it's a pretty positive outlook. Yeah, no, I would concur with everything Toby says. I just, I, I think people keep saying, but it must be a bubble, but it has to come to an, like this demand and these prices can't continue skyrocketing. But all the fundamentals are there for that to remain the case, at least for the for the short to medium term. I just don't see why it would suddenly collapse inwards. There's so much demand for wine, top wines from a region that is not expanding. I mean, the Appalachians are delineated, so that's that. And um, no, all the all the statistics that we've been analysing point to that continuing at least for the time being. And and you know, it's it's not just about the demand um, or the prices. Like when we were looking at our quality scores mm. for Burgundy, Burgundy's top wines compared to other regions, they're coming out top. Like they're getting the highest scores from the from our partner critics. Um, so you know, they're getting they're getting the highest wine lister scores overall. I just think it's it's a it's a region at the moment which just cannot be beaten. It's kind of hallowed ground. Um, and the wines are amazing. I think we all can agree on yeah. that. So and don't forget also that the a better economy for growers is uh, allowing them to make better wine yeah, if they're spending course. it uh, the right way. And uh, that's the case for all the you know like mm. the I was talking of like more the lighter appellation or more the unknown. They were lighter because usually if you're only owning those appellations, the market was very difficult mm -hmm. as it's yeah. getting better and they can mm. sell for, uh, for, for, I'm not talking mm. of a rocket price, but a better mm. price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you can, you know, you can, you can stop using herbicide and you'll plow your vines uh, yeah. yourself, spend more time in the vineyards, then the quality will improve. And it's, it's, it's what happened in the past in, yeah. in Volnay, Pomar, Chambol, and, uh, and it's happening now to, to the other one. So, the, the, the fact the price going higher doesn't make especially the grower richer. Mm. It's just making the quality better. Yeah. Well, um, thank you all for bringing such delicious wines. It's nice to hear all what you all think about the vintage, and I'm super excited to try more 2017 Burgundy. Yeah, bring on Burgundy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. Cheers. 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 <laughs>